Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Car Chat. And on this episode today, I have Raz Rahan. AKA. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> AKA, AKA Mr. AMG, I guess. Mr. AMG. What, what most people call me. And what, how do you describe yourself? Um, not aesthetically. Like not aesthetically. Uh, very brown. No. Um, <laughs> essentially, I'm an AMG addict, and I have been for many years before I started all the YouTube stuff. Hmm. But back then, I had another job. Today, doing YouTube full time on my channel, Remove Before Race. A lot of fun on Instagram as well. But essentially, it's now full time reviewing cars, reviewing them very, very thoroughly. Um, and in a very unique niche that I hope I can try to explain to you a little bit today why why I think I should keep doing it, which I think uh, a lot of YouTubers eventually hit a wall because we all seem to be doing the same thing. But I think on my channel, we found a very unique thing that, that I want to fill you in a little bit about today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I wasn't always a YouTuber. So, so what uh, were you doing before you decided to take up YouTube? So uh, I had a number of jobs, as many people do, trying mm-hmm. to make uh, ends meet when we have uh, this expensive vice that is cars, because I was <laughs> always into cars. So when that monthly payment is coming, you've got to make ends meet. So I, I used to work in an insolvency department of an accountancy firm. Okay, uh, It was, in fact, my dad's firm. But I was running nothing to do with him or the insolvency side. So really, it was a funeral director for companies, as I like to call it. <laughs> it's, it's a really depressing job. You deal with people who've bought, I don't know, like this sofa... It's not been delivered. The company directors have run off with the money, etc., etc. Mm. It's horrible. Um, that must be quite depressing. It, it was very depressing because you get all these poor people on the phone who've parted with their good money, and you're having to deal with kind of the shit afterwards. Yeah. But I was good at it. It brought in a good money, and I was able to kind of afford the cars that I liked. But it didn't really fulfil me. My other job then was designing. So I have a creative branding agency that I work with a partner on. And that was corporate design, you know, logos and websites and, you know, big charity commissions and this kind of thing. So I really enjoyed that because historically I was always creative. My mother was was a great artist of her time in in Pakistan. And I I think I kind of got it from her. So when I was about nine, ten years old, I was coding and and doing 
art for video games. Okay. But just like independent ones. So if you think of fighting games like Mortal Kombat, yeah, uh, yeah. Street Fighter, we used to make games for uh, the anime Dragon Ball Z, just fan games. Okay. And I do all the art and all the coding with like my team of guys around the world. And that was just when I was you know, early teens. So I had all this kind of knowledge and skill of Photoshop and you know editing and coding and all this stuff, but I wasn't using it in my day-to-day job. Yeah. So I kind of... That's that's where the basis of what I'm doing today came from, like the niche. But in terms of how then I transferred from being essentially a, an accountant into car things was thanks to Instagram in, in totality. Instagram is a really, really great platform for anything aesthetic. And cars are a great aesthetic, right? I mean, for look sure. at your 911, like your best. old one. You, know, yeah. you can look at that and take a thousand photos in one day and you still wouldn't be you know, uh, fulfilled. And I literally only started that just watching a few other accounts. Notably, I think one was Der Landgraf in Germany, who was a a German blogger, eventually started working for Mercedes. He would just catalogue his life with his car. But it wasn't like, oh, here's a car sitting outside Sloan Street. Mm. Not that kind of thing. This was more, I'm changing the tyre of my car today or I'm doing an oil top-up but by myself, mm. or I bought this new bit of trim on my old S-Class, and I'm okay, about so to change it. it was a bit more of a story. It was very than... much a story, and I love that idea of cataloguing kind of your history with your vehicle. Because like a lot of people who loved cars back then, and I'm talking five, six years ago, we had like, I'm sure you, you did as well, uh, Sam, you probably had loads and loads of folders and hard drives worth of car yeah. photos. I had a Facebook album. Yeah, I, I had loads they got of photos. Facebook album but a Facebook yeah. album that was just... And all my friends, I think they get, they've, it's got to the point where they're really quite yeah. fed up of it, yeah. but kind of secretly like it. <laughs> yeah. It's just any cool pictures of my cars go into one Facebook album. Yeah. I've sort of stopped doing it now because yeah. I kind of don't like Facebook. Yeah. And we've moved on we've to, all kind moved of moved on on to Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you've seen these accounts. Yeah, and I just thought, look, I've been taking so many pictures. I'm fed up of using iPhoto and other means of like cataloging my car journey. Why don't I just start cataloging it on Instagram? Yeah. You know, if someone wants to see it and like it, they can. But it's really for my own benefit. I want a photo book that I decide what goes in it. Now, this was back in the days when we didn't have any DMs on Instagram, no stories, yeah. etc. It was all you know, very raw content. What you post is what you had. That was it. And I just started doing it and you know, gave a few opinions, very rarely now and then. But then started doing it more and more as you met people. And I think really meeting people ends up being the best part of Instagram. 100%. I mean, the only reason I'm sitting here today with you is because we met you exactly. know, through Tim and then Joe and then whoever, you know, which is great. And then I know so many people in all over the world. It's all thanks to, you know, that great platform. But yeah, uh, just started doing it. People actually liked what I was saying or liked the particular view that I had. And invariably you start thinking as a car guy, God, you know, is there any mileage in this so i did try doing a few videos that i've never ever showed anyone and i was shit because i kept trying to be chris harris who i love yeah and you know everybody does that you know subconsciously they either try to be harris or henry catchpole or jeremy clarkson for and sure it, and it comes out right so i ditched the whole idea i was like no no i'll just stay on instagram i'll just enjoy myself but eventually over time pressure builds and people around you're like oh why don't you try it etc so then started doing youtube and to be fair I was really just doing pretty much what everyone else was doing. Had a good Instagram following back then. It was about eighty, ninety thousand, 90,000, which was 
back in the boom period before all the algorithms yeah. came in and all that nonsense that we have to deal with now. But I was really, I started YouTube just doing what everyone was doing. Here's a car, walk around, pretty pictures, a couple of opinions that are pretty much the same as everyone's. Very unfulfilling, just in the sense that they were good videos. Mm. Don't get me wrong, you know, good camera work, you know, the opinions were decent, etc. The cars were great, but really, it it hit home to me, and I mentioned this uh, to a few people, when I, I just did my first ever press drive. Bilsterberg C63S facelift. Big deal for me, being A, just a customer of AMG, but like doing the YouTube stuff. Yeah, I'm on a press drive, finally, going around the track. Did the video, it was a great video, really good info. We took some amazing tracking shots around the actual track itself, which no other journalist was doing on that on that particular drive and uh released the video it was slow it was a slow burner didn't really get the views i wanted it to get and i kind of had to take a step back now like well, who who do you like watching sam uh, my my hands down favorite people yeah. are i mean can be like pros Henry as well and yeah henry's and amazing Harris, isn't and he and, and just yeah kind of the classic yeah in- inspiring yeah automotive writer yeah. journalist people agreed not the less interesting some yeah. of them have not transitioned to video very yeah. well yeah obviously some, some are better at articles some are better yeah. at, at video now I, I asked myself the question that if Harris or Henry had come and done this video would I have watched theirs or would I have watched mine and the honest answer to me was I would watch theirs yeah and I said that's a problem because if I'm not watching my own stuff because someone else in the world can do it better then I should stop but I didn't want to stop. So that's when I kind of reassessed things and said, look, what am I good at? Well, I used to be really, really good and passionate about doing design stuff. But so much about cars is to do with design. Yeah. So I started with a couple of videos. Now, the team I have, I, I don't like to use the word team because there isn't a team. I do all the editing myself. I do all the scripting, all the storyboarding, etc. Uh, I have one guy called Jamie, Jamie Britton, who helps me shooting on press drives or here in the UK. So I sat down with him and we kind of decided to take a couple of cars and do things a little bit differently. And now today what I'm doing is when I do a walk around of a car and I say, oh, here we've got the brand new Aston DBX, for example. And the first three cars of the second generation were DB11, Vantage and DBS. Instead of just saying it, I'll show the cars in that position. And if I say it's a bonded aluminium platform, I'll show the bloody platform. Yeah. Or I talk about the Merc engine, I want to show the engine. I might even show the pistons firing. Because that's something that I'd like to see. And I think it's something that the audience likes to see because they hear it or read about things so much. But to actually see it and see it in situ when you're trying to appreciate why a new car is ents and tenths better than the old one. I think this particular format has got legs for me and I enjoy watching it. I rewatch a lot of my stuff quite sadly, but I do it because now I enjoy it and I do it because I see the reaction in the comments from the audience that they are really enjoying this slightly different take. I'm a bit of a nerd as well, so we've ch- we've chucked in a lot of kind of Marvel stuff, DC <laughs> stuff, you know, explosions, electricity. There's going to be some more Star Wars stuff coming up. But again, you know, the audience has reacted well to that because we're so everyone's into pop culture now yeah, yeah you know it's not so much of a taboo as it used to be so yeah it's been quite an interesting journey from kind of desk work to being you know full-time now in uh i guess almost entertainment i, I don't know what else to call it i shudder to use the word youtube 
YouTuber rather because there's so many different types of YouTuber, yeah, yeah, isn't for there? Sure. So, uh, but yeah, it's I'm really enjoying it. It's I really good. Am. I think when I sort of want to explain a little bit for those people that haven't come across your channel, yeah, the way like where you've just described it is exactly what you do. But I first came, I think I first came across your videos. It was when we were going with Tim to pick up his yeah. GTR, GTR, yeah, and you came along in your GTR and we had a fun fun day around. and then I started watching some of your videos and it was the first time like I'm quite a nerdy guy at heart like I love techie details like stuff and there is definitely a market like you're saying there's two types almost there's many more than two types of videos but you get the guys who are going out drifting it telling you all about the dynamics and whatever and to be honest you need quite a big crew or at least more than one person to do that well because you need someone to film from outside the car and all that sort of stuff and those guys are very good at that but then there's also a completely separate avenue which is detail orientated videos for people that are interested in specifics of the car that's right I know that's that's sort of why I think Tim's videos have done well for a long time he just does very factual bits of information about all the cars and if you want a video about how to remove a roof from a 918 or something yeah. Tim probably has a video on it yeah and a lot of people say that you ask um, you know, just a random person if you're going to look at or look for a video of a brand new car that's just been announced where do you go invariably they'll probably say Shmi 150 yeah. because he'll have, he'll have the, the first videos. video and he's so good at soaking up and relaying information that you know it's quite reliable as well yeah so yeah you do have that type as well and then and then i came i started watching your videos and recently i've been looking at before i've actually went bought an audi yeah i was considering a bunch of mercedes and i came across a video and it was probably maybe glc 63 oh yeah yeah and yeah. you were compare comparing it to the pre was there a previous one Yes. Uh, was it the black GLC? Because I've done two videos on GLC. To be honest, I'm not 100% sure. It was it was maybe comparing the 63 yeah. to the non-63. And the way it might be. Raz's videos, yeah. you look at them and he's in this sort of courtyard. I'm guessing that's where your house is. Yeah, you've seen, you've seen the black one. Yeah, and, that was where my house is, yeah. And <laughs> he's standing next to this car. Yeah. And he's like, this is the new blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And actually, I did sort of wonder now. Do you do videos where there's never been a car? Yes, I have. Okay. I have. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking this thing. And presumably, you have a certain place you always put the camera. I I have some markings. That's only to help with, should I ever want to show something from the past? Yeah. It just helps me editing time, time time-wise. Yeah. So you'll be talking about this car, and then you'll, you'll say, okay, so this car has let's say bigger arches a bigger front grille blah 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 and in your head you're going okay cool right whatever and then he'll like click his fingers or something and there will be yeah the older model or yeah. the newer model yeah and you can and then you you flick between the two yeah. so you can see right in front of your eyes the difference between these models and it was the first time and i don't think i don't think anyone else does that no, not that i've come across does, no. before that you could visually see all of these difference differences on all of these cars and as someone who was looking at the different models yep. as prospective buyer that was unbelievably useful i really i'm really glad because that's the type of uh, a it's for the people who are looking for cars but it's also i i feel for people perhaps who can't quite reach those cars yeah. 
to kind of appreciate what's gone into them or what's changed. Like I'm doing at the moment a G800 Barabbas, or as I keep getting told in comments, it's Brabus. so I need to train my brain to say it <laughs> And with a tuned cart, again, you're trying to explain why it's different. So what we've done on this one, and uh, I'd love to show you when it's out this evening, we've removed the bumpers off a standard G-Wagon while it's there, so you can't see the bumpers disappear, and you see the internals, kind of the air, you know, the mm. radiator grills and all the rest of it, and then we're slowly putting the other pieces on and the alloys and stuff, and it's quite fun to kind of do it that way and to really show... Because sometimes you see something and you can't really appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, There might be just subtle differences, but when you immediately see it compared to an older version... Yeah, if you can flick back between... Yeah, it really helps. I did a um, new 7 Series recently, and the grill is such a talking point for BMWs. And I went back and I, and I found some one of some of the first ever BMW saloons, which have these really long grills this is okay. like back in the days of like the ssk mercedes and those kind of really yeah. old classic cars but they had these huge grills from like top of the bonnet to the ground and i said hey maybe they got inspiration from there you know so it's, it's been great in a kind of history storytelling kind of way as well but i'm glad to hear that even someone like yourself found it interesting that's kind of where we're trying to get to that people who really want the info be it for entertainment purposes or for actual buying yeah. you know they just enjoy it you know how it's I don't necessarily want to give away all your your trade secrets. Yeah. <laughs> do, what what sort of software do you use for, generally for editing? It's so for the video editing side, it's Premiere, yeah. After Effects. Uh, for the magic transitions or whatever you want to call it, is all Photoshop. So it's literally oh, okay. all Photoshop skills. So you asked whether I had a car or didn't have a car rather when I was reviewing it. If you check out my M135i video, now I actually went to Munich to film this car. Yeah. But it was in like a little camo studio that BMW had yeah. and, you know, the the guys from Drive Tribe were there and a few other people and you're kind of just getting the information. And I wanted time to script it and do it properly. So I said to them, look, I'm going to take my videos and my pictures here and then I'm just going to do it at home. And they kind of gave me a puzzled look. I said, look, don't worry. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. So what I did was I put an A35 in the spot of the M135i on my driveway and then it took a long time to get it right and then you know when the sun changes and all these kind of things happen you have to yeah. modify things but then i had the m135i sitting on my driveway and it really looked like it did and what people loved about that even though they knew it wasn't there they could appreciate like reflections of trees on top of the car yeah. and just see it in place of where its rival has been or whatever the case may be i brought some older um like the m140 we brought down a few other cars and we got to, for the first time, show the exact differences in that spot. And even though the car wasn't there and the audience knew it wasn't there, they loved the fact that they could see this yeah. and, you know, they wouldn't have seen it anywhere else. So, yeah, that's, that, was, that was very interesting. It was daring, but we didn't do I more like of that. that. I rate that. And as someone who's spent a lot of time on Photoshop, I, I appreciate the amount of effort it goes into to it, it takes trying time. to yeah. decently composite something in. But to, rather than bigging myself up too much, over doing it so much i've gotten a lot quicker at it process yeah it does help if i've actually got a car that i can take a picture of and then then start the process sometimes the car just doesn't exist or it's too old or you'll never see it on the road and that's when you're trawling google image search to get different (laughs) angles and kind of all this stuff but it's fine i enjoy it it's good good. and then i the thing the reason that 100 percent works and whilst i was watching one of your videos earlier i suddenly thought hang on is this even a video like yeah is this a video footage of this car or is this a photo because yeah if you're unless you're looking really closely at 
some sort of moving reflections in the car or something the camera is fixed it is yeah so you could just take a picture and it would look exactly the same is there is there some stuff about having a picture that slotted into video that doesn't look quite right to make you have to be careful like conditions have to be right for example but let's say rather than you just shot the video yeah and then whilst that video you took a picture from exactly the same place if you then just swapped out that single frame oh but you can't do that yeah because it just never looks right because things are always changing especially the environment environment where i film has got a lot of hedges and trees so the wind's always blowing yeah there's always leaves flying around or something's happening just a photo just wouldn't do it you need to kind of be as tight as you possibly can around the car plus i'm moving around and waving my hands yeah yeah yeah. you know not being entirely cooperative with the camera so uh yeah, I have to be very careful and make sure I take up as little of the screen as possible with the actual effect I'm doing. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, it could look very, very silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, so good, touch wood. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's a really good way of looking at cars and I hope you go and do many, 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 many more. Lots are coming, yeah. I've, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm glad you really like it, Sam. How, uh, how long does it take you to edit a video? Uh, it's a good question. Um, there's very varying types of videos uh, we tend to do very simply like a first look which ends up being invariably press drives more than anything because Mm. you have very little time on on press drives to do things often very little time with the car that you want so we end up doing a little teaser say filmed abroad which would be a first look something like that might take two days of editing i think if it's got driving footage as well something a bit more extensive like the full reviews that we do would probably take i'd say about a week a week yeah yeah so, editing time yeah yeah probably about a week of editing time i think wow i try to save time as much as possible by building up a library of old effects and cars yeah, that i can yeah, reuse yeah. or taking pictures of a car whenever i see it etc but yeah to do it right it does take time and then you're always trying to improve yourself like that realization i had way back when saying well why am i doing this yeah i have to keep asking myself that question and saying well what can i improve you know what more can i bring yeah. to the table that i'm already doing now so yeah sometimes every video i'm almost trying to do something different to a challenge myself but to entertain whoever's watching it as well so it ends up taking time it does but i do enjoy it because of that again every time it's if it became mundane you know what these programs are like sam use them yourself you can end up just hating yourself for it you know if if you have to start doing i imagine if you doing the same sort of effect by the time you've done the 20th yeah 50th video yeah like you start to be going oh I'm, yeah this is killing me now yeah and or, I, I think the audience would end up thinking that as well that look we've seen this a thousand times what new can you bring to the table but i i think for anyone who's who's in particularly the car video editing don't take too long to do something but make sure you do give it the love and the time that yeah. it deserves you know definitely yeah totally like streamlining that process yeah yeah i think i back in the day i i used to do quite a lot of video editing but it was of tim and i used to do a lot of skiing together all right and um we used to make ski videos okay and ben his editor you met ben yeah yeah of course benzine ben um we all lived in an apartment yeah in the alps for six months oh wow some skiing and that was where ben this was like the nerdiest apartment ever yeah yeah. ben brought a full-on desktop I okay. brought my laptop. Tim brought a laptop. I think we brought a TV, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> which was Tim's screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Ben first introduced me to Premiere Pro and yeah. After Effects, yeah. and I sort of 
started then and started my edits because the footage wasn't necessarily that good yeah we weren't that good what were you skits. using so just good, a little GoPro handy cam stuff, or something all right was, okay. way back when i don't think gopros existed then oh gosh all right and to then later on i started having gopros and yeah. things like that and the skiing got a little bit better but my editing i was like i would try and make it jazzy so i'd start doing things like having a the intro to the video would be a calendar for example right that then moves in 3d space gotcha and has writing that draws itself okay. along the calendar and whatever yeah. and then videos would be in the timeline and all yeah. that sort of stuff and you just d- dive into this deep do, web you? of thing but if you're doing something that you really in- like i really enjoyed it and yeah. i really enjoyed the the pushing myself and coming up with an idea definitely and i think that's that's probably if, if people are trying to get into photoshop or like I always say, my dad occasionally edits a few photos and things yep. on Photoshop. And I, the first thing I say is like, try and come up with the concept. Like think in your head of the concept of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And then work back yep. from there. And like as a vague idea, it's not, you don't want to be thinking, I need to click this button, do this yeah, it's type wrong of way shape around. or whatever. Yeah, it's wrong you want way to go, around. I want yep. to take this object, I want yep. to cut it out. Yeah. Put it on the background, match the lighting, done. Yeah. And that's how you get definitely that's how you get good at it For or sure. better. I mean one of the best advertising campaigns that, that spurred me on to do something different in, on uh Photoshop was BMW's M Town stuff. Mm. I thought it was so kind of inclusive to their customers, but a, a nice kind of one-up versus their competition to have like the M-Town driving school with kids in there and yeah. M-Town police and drift happens and I just thought it was absolutely brilliant but then being the AMG guy or the AMG addict on Instagram it's like well I need to come up with a response to this somehow so I ca- you think up different ideas then oh wouldn't it be great if AMG had done this or that so then I dived into Photoshop and I did a load of different you know, anti-M-Town uh, propaganda, <laughs> if you like. And that's a great way to start something. If you've got, if you've got something that you wish someone had done or yeah. you've got a concept in your head, then you use these programs to try and help you fulfill that concept rather than the other way around. Mm. And that's how you begin to then learn, you know, you know, how do I put a car there or how do I mimic a shadow? And then you start kind of, you know, understanding these things slowly. It yeah. all comes from a, a need when something doesn't exist, and there's, I think. And there's now a bazillion videos on YouTube on how yeah. to do a certain... Oh, it's so thing. good. YouTube is brilliant as a resource. Uh, the other day, I can't remember what I was watching. It was a YouTube channel. Um, it's a cartoon one, actually. How it should have ended. They do all these films, how okay. they should have ended. And they use, like, uh, cartoons. to like. That's quite fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite funny. So, like, how Lord of the Rings should have ended, you know, yeah. the common sense approach or something. <laughs> but they always mimic, like, a, a movie intro. So they mimic the Marvel one with the, all, the, all the comic stuff flowing and then zooming out of the, the Marvel logo. I was thinking to myself the other day, oh, wouldn't it be great if I started a Remove Before Race video with that Marvel Studio style of flicking through um, different videos yeah. and zooming out? But instead of Marvel characters, it was just different videos of me, yeah. just as a joke, and then we'll do some Marvel theme thing. Yeah. So like you said, it comes out of this kind of need to, oh, let's try that and see if we can't get away with it type thing or, or achieve it. And YouTube is such a great resource because you find templates and every tutorial you could ever think of. You know, how do you save a file? It's probably on YouTube, you know, even yeah. though it's like file and save. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> there will be. Um, but it's great. It's a great time to live in, I think, in that sense. Barriers to entry to A, learning things and putting stuff out into the world are so short now that really no one has any excuse to kind of yeah. sit on their asses anymore. All that really 
can judge you is the quality of your work and at RBR certainly what we chase for is quality the, the work has got to be of quality if you start thinking about what's going to get you views you know by being viral or mm. it works for some channels it really does you know the whole viral aspect but if you're trying to create a, a quality product and it's, this is in any industry I think you have to just chase for the quality and then I think the, the success will follow and then we're very very lucky in the day and age that we live that there's so much support for whatever area you want to go into i mean could you imagine like revising for exams and stuff now compared to yeah when we were kids i can't even, i haven't searched but i'm sure there's like thousands of lessons on every single topic every single topic every that, everything that you could ever not that any kid's ever going to use it they're just going to go on youtube and look at cat videos but <laughs> you know it's there if you want to access it so. yeah it's an unbelievable resource. It is. And definitely, like you are saying, you've tuned into... You've got to make videos that you want to watch. And you've For got sure. to do it to a standard that you enjoy. And that was something that I, early on... And I think a lot of people struggle with. Mm. If you're a... If you've come from that sort of designy, photoshoppy... Editor-type yeah. background chances are you want to overproduce absolutely everything, everything. because your standards are yeah. so high even though like i constantly i think i've reined it back a little bit but i used to get into some real like pixel editing type stuff <laughs> on a that then a picture then goes onto instagram yeah yeah and it, or a video that's only ever viewed on a phone yeah and you've shot the whole thing in 4k yeah and you're like well this is what we were saying earlier. You have to do give it the time it deserves, but you got to rein it back. Yeah, I'm sure on every car transition I do, I could probably spend a couple of days per car, but I have to limit myself to that 10, 15 minutes and just make it as good as it can be for 1080p on a big TV screen. Yeah, because you really can go OTT <laughs> on these things and just you know spend weeks and months doing it, which is a big mistake. And most people, 99% of people. And more than 99% of people are not going to notice no. the difference between you spending 15 minutes yeah. and four days. Yeah. It's just absolutely not there. Yeah, and obviously you have to pick the level that you're That's happy right. with. Yeah. And I think the more content you create, that does slowly come down because one, you refine your process and you're like, well, this is, this is pretty damn good. And if yeah, I go for away sure. for 10 minutes, come back and yeah. go, mm, still okay. That's, that's not bad. For sure. So you call yourself Mr. AMG. Yes. Well, well, to be fair, it was first AMG who did it. Oh, they did it? They did it on Twitter. Oh, okay. I remember it was, it was. It happened on Twitter, and it happened in person with one of the bods mm. in the Falterbach. And I just ran with it then. I said, right, you've said it. I'm just going to use it now because <laughs> yeah. no one else is using it. And it's been great because whenever anyone's ever approached me, and I get, I get recognized a lot now, which I love chatting to people, and everyone... There hasn't been a single person who's been weird or, you know, dare I say nasty. Everyone's been amazing. Yeah. And it's always Mr. AMG first. It's nice. never removed before race or RBR or Raz or Rockinara or anything like that. So, yeah, it's it's great. But that that really only reflects my personal preference when it comes... We all have a personal preference when yeah. it comes to driving and buying cars. Yeah, um, For I'm me, sure. it, it, it was AMG. But that, that, again, that really just reflects my instagram even today it's still more of a catalog of of my personal car journey with press bits thrown in there a little bit but yeah it's i i love all cars as as you do yeah. as well and and it's so great now to be in the position to try so many other things 
but yeah, essentially, I blame AMG for that. <laughs> that, for that particular one. That's fair enough. If yeah. they called you Mr. AMG, I, I like. It's out if, there. if Porsche called me Mr. Porsche, I yeah. would take that. You, you got to take it. <laughs> so why why Mercedes? What, why do you have such a brand affinity to Mercedes? I, I think it started early on. So um, my grandfather was a great lover of cars, but wasn't the most well-to-do mm. man. He did get a, a factory order car one. I can't remember which one it was. My dad always tells me. Opel Ascona or something. And he went to Germany to collect it. It was a big yeah. deal for him. But he always loved Mercs. So my dad was more successful than my grandfather. And in his later life, he'd buy him a new C or E class every year. Yeah. And my grandfather would love it. And he would go out. And he was famous for cleaning a car with one piece of tissue paper just go around <laughs> and, like doing this it's clearly not working but he loved the car yeah yeah and i kind of saw that and, and appreciated it. again my dad always loved it e-classes and s-classes and whatnot so the natural kind of bias in the house was to go towards merc so my first few cars weren't mercedes i had a skoda fabia to begin with and then um i wanted a new five series because they looked great but mm. i would have been disowned at that point <laughs> so I, I didn't really get my my way there so i, I used to drive merc diesels and I thought they were great, talky engines, really comfortable, nice design, etc. But the world of AMG didn't really come into it until I got my first one, which was almost a fluke because I wanted a Cayman S. Yeah. And I went to Porsche Center Reading, had a great test driving one, best car I'd ever driven at that point. What but generation was this? This was... 987. Um, yeah, so the, so the first... First of the old shape. First of the old shape. I still remember now it was a black car with beige interior. It was just one of those things that you don't forget. Yeah. But I couldn't afford it. It was, for me then, being so young, it was, I was 20-something, 20 21, 22. It was just too expensive. Yeah. Just could not do it. So I went for the alternative, read up some reviews. I think it was James May did a great review on the old SLK 55. And I read it, and he was like, well, this is the smallest AMG and the cheapest, but it's the best. And this was in the time before the C63 existed. Yeah. So um, found a used one, picked that up, first turn of the key, I was addicted. The V8 noise, you know, the styling, the aggression, everything about it just, just pulled me in. And I've never really kind of looked back since that car. After that followed the first C63, the W204s that we all love so much mm. with the big 6.2 engine. And then the problem compounded more. And then the SLS came and that was the same, but even better. And yeah, it's just gotten worse and worse over time. <laughs> really. Until well, we reach present day when everything seems to be going the other way around now, which is a shame. But yeah yeah it's tricky we were just having a little bit of a conversation earlier but we can totally visit that now i think we should um, where it needs to be visited <laughs> modern cars and we can throw in mercedes throw in everything everything um, yeah it's just becoming less interesting to me personally i, I and think i think they're becoming less cars are less involving i don't know they're just they're just different now they are not in a good way every discernible area um you drive an old car now it feels analog hmm. and you can't quite put your finger on what it is but there's a thousand different systems that are making you feel that way be it the suspension or the infotainment system or the electronic steering or the driving aids or the noise regulation or the opf gpf boxes in the car whatever it might be everything is dumbing down the love of driving and it's a shame because some of those things are necessary some of them I don't think are as necessary. And I think cars have become the poster boy for, you know, it's the big bad now. It's the soft target yeah. for the world to attack when it comes to pollution and emissions. Whereas we all know there are things that do much worse and there are lengths that we can go to and there's lengths that we don't need to go to. 
a lot of the cars I've driven recently, I'm going to pick out a few. To be honest, it's every new car. As you said, every new car is affected by this. For sports cars, it's all about the sound. And the sound has been affected the most. You look at, say, pre-OPF GT3 RS versus OPF GT3 RS. Yeah. It's like a different car altogether. You cannot recognize it. You go from AMG GTR to GTR Pro. Again, I shudder to say, I think my C63 is louder from the previous generation than a GTR Pro today, significantly. In fact, my GT four-door, the GT63S, only a year older, is louder than the GTR Pro. Really? And And that's pre-OPF? No, it's not. That's got an OPF. That's got an OPF. The GT four-door has always had an OPF. Where people get things wrong is the OPF, yes, it reduces sound quality a little bit and volume because Mm. it's, it's sitting in between what we hear and the exhaust pipes but the thing that's killing it is the noise regulations which is a separate matter altogether it's how many decibels you can have has that come down i I wasn't aware that it's coming down all the time i think every six months it changes really every six months so you know you look at early opf cars versus today's opf cars there's a difference there Mm. because the noise regulations are constantly changing A, a good example for you sam is or anyone out there, A35, current one. It's got an OPF, it's got no performance exhaust system as such, but it gives nice pops and bangs when you're yeah. playing playing the engine. You compare that to the A45S, which you would expect next level, Yeah, it's about half the volume of an A35. Really? And you're thinking, wait, they've both got an OPF, You know, they've both got similar exhaust systems, what's going on here? And you speak to the manufacturers and it's, yep, it's all noise regulations. That's, that's what's killing it. It's, so it's not just emissions. I, I'm I'm all for the OPF and emissions and cutting down on car emissions, etc. That's fine. We have to do our part for the environment. But noise regulation, is it that important? Yeah. Really? Because most, most of the problems, I think, with loud cars is people aftermarket exhaust. Yeah. It's not factory levels. No. And I remember it was, it was probably a Top Gear episode quite a long time ago, maybe... It's all with the speed gun that they were doing. And they'd all, they were basically comparing the noise. Yeah. It might have been fifth gear. Sort of sounds like something fifth gear would have done. <laughs> the noise of a bunch of current cars. And I'm just going to pick whatever might have been out at the time. Maybe a Porsche, like a GC3, a, an R8, and then a 458. Yeah. And in theory, all of these cars had to be under a similar noise yeah. level. But the Italian ones, the Ferrari was like ridiculous ridiculously yeah, loud yeah. and they're like yeah well i mean you know yeah yeah whatever yeah but it's i'm sure you feel the same when i had so on my gt3 i had to do the had the warranty renewed yeah. and for some reason I, I let it expire that's a whole different story that was annoying <laughs> accidental ends up being a little bit expensive and to get the warranty renewed i had to put the standard exhaust back on yeah and put standard exhaust back on got in the car drove it home and kind of wanted to sell it. Yeah. I hadn't driven it for sort of two months or something. I forgot what it sounded like with previously. The, with the exhaust. With yeah. the exhaust and stuff like that. And it just, there was nothing. Mm. It was just like numb. And it affects you, doesn't it? As a, yeah. as a petrol. And head. I kept it for, I, I still got it, but I, I, I kept that exhaust on for a couple of months, did a track day. So it's like, well, actually, here's an opportunity to do a track day where I'm not going to be over the, the noise yeah. limit. And, even on the track day i'm used to a certain there's a certain level of noise that makes you feel really connected to a car yeah like when you change gear 
if it's a manual and you're blipping and mm. stuff like that, the exhaust needs to be a certain noise level for you to be able to react to the engine note rather than have to sort of learn That's right. how to blip the car. Yep. You can actually yep. hear it. And it's part of the senses when you're driving. The engine note itself and the exhaust gives you so much information, doesn't it, yeah. in terms of what the car is doing, um, which you lose in, in, in entirety when it comes to electric, but that's another... And then I put the old the the exhaust I had on it back on again. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is this car's amazing again!" Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. And every single new car I drive that yeah. hasn't had the exhaust messed with, yeah, I'm like, mm. yeah and that's what's going to happen. And I think this trend you see of big grills and crazy designs and wide arches and fake fins and fake vents, fake this is fins. all done. It, it happens so much. Look at the new R8. I don't want to sell yeah. any particular loads car of Audi, out, new but Audis loads of new like Audis that. have these little black. I mean the, you know the Brabus G800 has got criminal amount of vents and fins mm. that are just plastic, you know, with some X's on them. Yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. But all of this is being done even by the mainstream manufacturers to balance out the fact that their cars now are sounding like complete shit. So they're going to give you you're spending your money now for big grills and crazy designs, yeah. rather than those lovely little bits of emotion that you used to feel from the cars and it's a shame but this is the direction that i don't think we have to go in that direction but i think the big wigs at each manufacturer are so caught up in this whole maelstrom of you know greta and yeah <laughs> emissions and all this kind of stuff that they don't want to they don't want to be the next vw and um essentially that's that fear it seems to be driving i mean that the news broke yesterday didn't it about the alfa romeo gtv and hc being cancelled did you yeah. hear about that yeah it's a great example of where the industry is going yeah suvs are are the flavor of the day and ev suvs are, are absolutely perfect as far as the world is concerned yeah it's i i have a bit of a bone about electric suvs at the moment yeah it's not 100 percent rationally but tell me i like irrational um, bones so they're not very economical no they're super heavy yeah and yes they're electric but actually they're not that economical so if you fill them up with electric obviously you have to fill them whatever yeah plug them in they don't go that far on a massive battery charge yes whether that's 900 volt or whatever that's not the right capacity i know what you're thinking the the newer 800 or whatever yeah. yeah kilowatt battery chargers yeah. or whatever they are yeah yeah so if you can drain one of those in 200 miles which a big suv 100 is yeah, totally that's the max do, you're gonna get yeah and that probably costs you i don't know how much it costs to fill up but i've got a feeling it's in the region of about 10 pounds yeah okay yes that's cost wise a lot less but then you need to start looking at where this energy is coming from that's right and at the moment well, our country's coal, coal powered really, coal powered yeah so that's not that's not great Whenever I take an idea like that is used by mass market to analyze whether it's a good idea for everyone, you have to not look at the fact that only 2% of people are using it. We need to look, what if 99% of people yeah. are using this technology? What would the strain be on the power stations? How much more emissions would those be creating? How many abandoned cars would we have on the side of the road? Because generally, all of us people, we're all a little bit disorganized. Yeah, you know, We have stressful lives. We can't charge things as efficiently as we should you know we we think we can get away with oh it's showing 15 miles maybe i'll make it i don't you know i don't like my phone going under 50 percent. yeah it stresses me out you, you drive an electric car you get range anxiety i 
I've, every single one I've driven, I've been so stressed at 80%. I'm thinking, why am I stressed? Yeah. Because I know, before I know it, if, if I put my foot down, this thing's going to drain like nothing else. And that gives you so much stress. You've got enough stress when you're driving a car. And then when you're driving a 2.6-ton electric SUV, you're thinking, I don't need this. I'll just drive a little one-litre something yeah. around town instead. It's, uh, for me, the electric cars, I will totally if I still live in town or but I, if I'm going to have a runabout and I get have a small car yeah. I'm totally up for having an electric car yeah. I, I 100% in a city it's the best thing it's just know. good and I'm now increasingly aware of pollution levels in cities yeah. particularly the tube I don't yeah. know whether you've seen the stats on this no I did my girlfriend's doing a PhD in marine biology studying pollution okay. and we got given a sort of sensor pollution meter type thing yeah measures pollution levels and we had a mess with it for a day and recorded loads of different stuff so we did uh just ambient levels at home yeah ambient levels outside busy street behind my old 911 which has no cats yeah doesn't do very many miles a year before yep. anyone wants to have a bang <laughs> on me about that one but so that measures that level and then she went on tube to work i think she went on maybe the Piccadilly line okay uh, something like that and the lev- the let's say you go to Gloucester Road mm. right busy loads of buses I'm just going to sort of make up some numbers but this is representative the level of pollution would say like 20 let's okay. say if you go to on the tube it was like 10 times more oh my god it was like the, the charts like that yeah and it was up here and it was worse it was pretty much the same as standing breathing in like as in mouth to the exhaust behind the old 911 oh my god and that's just the ambient level that's crazy in the tube so cities are a big problem it's it's a real problem that needs to be sorted Mm. but that's not that's not an electric car well it would help but yeah that's not really an electric car in in cities I'm all for it and uh, what annoys me about EVs and I reviewed that EQC Mercedes recently Mm. and I thought yeah okay you know nice car EV etc but why isn't there why wasn't the first base doing an A-class or something mm. which I thought you know this makes sense that's to the me. obvious one I'd love to plod around in something that's you know cheap to kind of charge and plod around you get a lot more miles because it's not as heavy yeah um, that would make sense to me and it annoys me why there's not more small EVs yeah. you know at small, the moment light small and light yeah and they kind of, to be small and like, they need to be built from the ground up, don't they? They can't be based yeah. on current chassis, etc. But yeah, cities, yeah. But really, on motorways and and uh, you know suburban driving, I'm not convinced no. at all, actually. And then when you start looking at the the lifetime like CO two emissions of, uh, I'm turning into some sort of green <laughs> podcast here, but <laughs> the lifetime CO two emissions of building yeah. and disposing of a car. If you make a massive heavy car with a massive battery pack, yeah, to basically recoup that takes like ten years or something. Yep. I'm not sure the hundred percent, but if you compare, let's say, a reasonably efficient diesel electric car yep. with a big battery pack, there is a certain amount just in the production of that car. Yes, that you it takes a long time to get back. Yeah, and and I suppose in the disposal of said car as well. Yeah, yeah, and. What was I, I, was, I was looking at something else recently and they were talking about the materials we use in all structures nowadays. Mm. So we use super energy intensive materials because we consider ourselves like advanced. Yes. 
So we love things like carbon fiber. Yeah. Now, yes, carbon fiber is light and it might make your car lighter, but to create carbon fiber requires a ton of energy, like pressure, heat Mm. in vast quantities that actually we've just used all these and steel and all of these things. Whereas if you use something like wood, now I'm not suggesting we always use wood for cars, but like (laughs) you could make light cars. Morgan has been making wooden cars and they, they claim that, and they've tested it, that you can have pretty safe and structurally solid Yep. cars which have components made out yep. of wood now wood you can grow it really quickly doesn't create yep. use any energy to make slightly better for the planet whatever yep. and we're sort of pushed into this cyclical yeah. thing of using loads of oil to create all of these things to then burn more oil yep. and blah, blah 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 and it's like sort of like never ending yeah really. it's, it's a self-fulfilling thing um and i think you see that on all parts of our industry one is materials uh you also look at kind of we were discussing earlier about how powerful modern cars have become and where the sweet spot really is Mm. for a a car that's fun again we as humans we just push the envelope sometimes without thinking do we need to almost in a kind of i think it's almost greed isn't it or yeah or or something worse you want to have the most bling yeah most the biggest number yeah i mean i drove uh, i used to run a, a hire firm for a little while called veloster cars and we had a 488 coupe drove that thing and obviously by that point I've driven a lot of cars and on the road it was it was just too fast for mm. any normal road condition yeah you drove it slow and it wasn't any of the character of the car that you wanted to see very recently I test drove the new the GT2 RS which uh, was the best car I've ever driven but I only realized that when I took it to Long Cross filming studios and I was able to give it some welly because right. on a normal road, all I was hearing was the rear brake screeching, really hard suspension, and none of the fun that you get from that car. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure you go three, four generations back and you look at just a normal Carrera S, you'd probably derive a thousand times more pleasure on a normal road. 100%. And, and I think this is the problem we're having. There's a sweet spot, and I agree with your estimation, of about 450 BHP in a, in a reasonably weighted car. The key is the weight. Yeah. You know, I think... Uh, what would you give as a good example of, of a car like that? So my... The reason I say 450 horsepower... Yeah. My GG3 RS yeah. is like 1350 kilos, yeah. something like that. 450 horsepower, Porsche horses, so they give a bit more go. Yeah. But that... You get in something modern and fast, it it doesn't feel anywhere like that. Like no. 720S is just like gone, 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 oh, gone, yeah. gone. But if you could get the weight down a bit more, let's say, I mean, you get, you're then pushing it in both directions, something like a 600 LT. I haven't actually driven one. I'd like to drive I one. I haven't either, actually. They, they're probably it's on the bucket list. 12 something in weight. Yeah. I don't know, I guess. Mm. And 600 horsepower-ish. Yeah. That's more than enough. Yeah. That's way, way, way more than yeah. enough. Whereas, I mean, the cars we've got with seven pushing 800 horsepower, I just don't see the point. Yeah, and we love cars. You know, we're the ones saying, "Oh, why are you doing EVs?" But what is the need for these? And everything is just getting like the new new M3. Yeah, it's going to be four wheel drive. Yeah, it's going to have whatever five hundred and fifty horsepower. But so what? Does it need it? Like, I've driven the latest M5. Yeah, it's, it's a good car, but 
that's got I don't know it's getting on 600 horsepower ish close enough yeah uh, but it doesn't you get in it and this was the bit that weirded me out you get in some of these cars these big saloons mm. like your the GT4 door GT4 door yeah. Yeah. how much horsepower has that got 640 <laughs> so 640 that's, that's a serious amount of horsepower yeah. and I imagine you get in it and you put your foot down and it's obviously it's quick yeah but it doesn't equate to what in my head when I first drove let's say I had a 981 Boxster yeah which was 320 something horsepower yeah. or whatever this will not feel over two times as fast or two times as fast no, as that won't. like no, not won't. not even a, a it's almost become near. a mathematical equation now that for a car of the size and the weight of a GT63 S to be able to perform I mean hats off to AMG it's at the moment I think it's the quickest four door on the Nürburgring um, yeah with I think it's like 20 seconds quicker than the Cayman GT4 which is crazy for a yeah. huge two tons saloon right but it's a mathematics exercise isn't it it's how yeah. do we manage the weight of this car in a way that we can achieve that lap time it's a great achievement but when I first heard about that car being created, I kind of asked them, well, why is it the size of an S-Class? Why did you have to make such a huge car with all the technological garbles yeah. in it? I just want an AMG GT with a couple of extra seats. Yeah. It can be a lot lighter. I don't need lane-keeping assist or you know, blind-spot assist or soft-closing doors. I just want a sports car with four seats or five seats. Why didn't you make it smaller than a C63? Oh, but you know, the competition and Panamera and... And I'm just thinking, well, you've got this arse upwards. Yeah, because they also make loads of car... When I look at the Mercedes range, yeah. I get a bit confused. There's loads of models. There's a lot of models. And particularly in, I would say, that sort of space. Yeah. Which was, if I was just looking at like slightly silly cars that you can get four or five people in, there's loads of them whatever we've, you'd be inundated what have we got we, you've got start CLS. from the bottom you've got CLA 45 yeah is a good one or even CLA 35 now to make things even more confusing you've got CLS 53 you've got E 53 in its various wagon coupe cab forms you've got E 63 which everybody knows about in saloon and wagon form you've got GT 63S you've got um, all the SUVs, I guess. Yeah. Uh, GLC 63, GLE 63, and the 53s and the 43s. And there's like, I mean, Friday, this Friday, I'm going to drive GLB 35. Right. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a B class until today when I looked. How long has the B class been around? B class has been around for quite a while. It's had, it's on its third generation now. It's been a good selling car for like families and stuff. And it still kind of is today. It's a, it's not really what you expect to, Mercedes to really make. It's a little people carrier. Okay. It does well enough. The GLB is kind of a small seven-seater. That's the size of a GLC. Right. But based on the A-Class platform. Okay. So you get A-Class interior, A-Class seats, etc., yeah. etc. But they've decided to do an AMG variant of it. Okay. So GLB 35, which we're about to test. Okay. Now, I know some people who might want to buy this, but we're getting into these little niches. And then they're making a GLB 45S, and I'm thinking... Why so many models? Yeah. You know? And then they're axing the stuff that's really important. So I heard recently they were going to do a, a final C63 of this generation because the next one is turning into a four-cylinder. <sighs> yeah. And uh, you can imagine the AMG fan base. And to be fair, what I read 
was that AMG CEO Tobias Moore stormed out the meeting effing and blinding when, mm. when the decision was made, probably by Daimler, because it's probably their best-selling car at AMG in terms yeah. of you know, bread and butter. So and if I you... think manufacturers, they've got... It's the totality of emissions, isn't it? Or yes, it's I don't know how it works. The entirety of their range. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on it, but I assume that's why the C class was targeted, so that they were due to make like the final, final version of that car, and it would have been something like the C63 Black Series, which everybody loves and knows about. I Sick mean, car. You know, if you're a layman and you talk about AMG, that car probably comes up very quickly in your mind. And they were due to make this car. It was going to have a titanium exhaust, different body kit, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and it recently got cancelled. And I just stepped back and I thought, this is AMG. If you don't understand that your customers would be offended by the fact that you're going to cancel what is essentially your flagship model, because look, the AMG GT isn't. It's a yeah. great car and it's an, it's not really a 911 rivaling car, but it is a great car in itself, you know, as a kind of supercar thrills car. But when we think AMG, we, we, think, don't think, that, yeah. we don't think that. We think a crazy C63, probably the Black Series, because of all the amazing press it got when it came on Top Gear, etc., mm. etc. Even the SLS Black doesn't, for me, I don't think it. it's at the level of the C. And to cancel, it's like Porsche cancelling the GT3 RS. Yeah. You know, and just being okay with it and building a Macan GT3 yeah. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And you, you just think you've lost touch with what makes you, you. But I think we're going to see a lot of that happening. Alpha is a good example of the news that broke recently. And I think you're going to see it across the board. I think totally. And it's it's definitely depressing because, like you said, if if I someone said AMG to me, I would not say A45 or anything other than first one would be C63. Yeah. That's like numero uno yep. AMG car. Yeah. And then, yeah, some other... Then it becomes a certain car with an AMG engine in it. Yeah. It's either C or it's maybe E63, and those translate back to the original cars that were really famous for AMG, like the AMG Hammer, which was essentially the car. It was the AMG, so you had a saloon and you had a coupe, and that's what the C63 and the E63 fill. So those are the cars we think of. They're the ones that really should be focused on, but it's all a money-making game now, isn't it? It's getting every single niche that you can possibly get and selling to as many people as you can. presumably, manufacturing-wise, it doesn't cost anywhere near as much to do a a slight different offspin of a platform now. No, I think that's why they're doing it. I think all this platform sharing, it's great if you really want a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche for those particular customers, but you know, it's it's making things very confusing for for all of us. So, so confusing. So I thought since I had Mr. AMG on the podcast, yeah. I thought we could maybe do a little run through. Yeah. The Go entire <laughs> Mercedes range. Have you got another couple of hours? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try and like, we can try and condense it a little yeah. bit. And I thought maybe you could explain why each model and potentially <laughs> yeah. why someone might buy it or why it's different. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll start at the bottom. I-, I will attempt this. So we've got A class. Yeah. Now, under. <sighs> Now, there's a lot of different A-classes as well, you see. Yeah, so I, I was just trying to think how we split this, because you basically we've got A, B, C, E, N, S. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Um, and then there's G versions, which yes. are the, I don't know, giant yeah. SUV versions. The big SUVs. Of all, pretty much all of these cars. Yes. But you look at, let's say, that A-class now, and we have the A-class, the A-saloon, and then we have CLA yep. and CLA Coupe. So you have... 
Justin A-Class family. You've got the A-Class, which is a hatchback. You've got the A-Saloon, as you said. You've got the CLA, which is essentially a four-door coupe, like a small CLS. Yeah. Then you've got the GLB, which I mentioned, which is like the seven-seater yeah. of that platform. You've essentially got a whole family of cars there. There's another one coming, which we used to have before, called the GLA. Do you remember the GLA? Which is like a fat, Vaguely. fat um, A-Class, yeah. essentially. That's also coming. So if you look at the A-Class family in in isolation, it's only almost an entire family of cars. And then you go to the next level, the C-level, and you've got, you've got C-Class, you've got C-Class Coupe, C-Class Cabriolet, you've got the GLCs. It's almost another family. Yeah. Then you go into the E's, and again, I'm probably going through your list very quickly. I can, I can just show you, you the know, list. The, the E's have got another huge family of cars. You know, E Saloon, E Cab, E Coupe, GLE is Why part of the E family. Is there no E63 Coupe? I think, and whoever I've spoken to has said this, that if they made that car, it would be so good that it would cannibalize. 90% of GT sales for example that's, now, that's a rubbish argument that's, that's, that's what I've been told and maybe you could cannibalize your GT 4 door yeah yeah and that's, that's that that's might be the reason that's, that, that might be the reason they, they did it I don't think it's the right reason because I think so many people would want that car but then I, I, I struggle with what we were talking about earlier that even if that car existed would I would I want it over a C63 coupe I don't really think I would. And if I did, I think I'd feel a bit guilty. Really? Yeah, because I don't... I think that the essence of an AMG, regardless of all these four-wheel drive cars they've been coming out with, yeah, yeah. it is a rear-wheel drive, daily usable car that you can really enjoy on a normal road. Yeah. Sounds really good, looks really good. For an E63S coupe with almost 600 brake horsepower, it just feels wrong to We're me. in that M5 territory that we've got to. Yeah. But what if it was rear-wheel drive? Let's, let's wind. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. About five years. Yeah, if it was a real, real, well, they should have done it. They should have done it, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. They missed an opportunity with the 212 series, or 213 rather. Was it 212? 213. Don't quote me on either of those. I can't remember. I don't know my Mercedes <laughs> Um They missed it in the previous generation. That's when they should have done it, when they had all the rear wheel drive E-classes. Yeah. It wasn't the prettiest body, but, you know, AMG can work their magic on it. That would have been the time to have done it. At about 550, 560 brake horsepower, rear-wheel drive. Yeah, exciting car. 
And that could still work today, I think, if it was rear-wheel drive. But they wouldn't dare do it because they'd be too afraid of people asking, oh, but why has my coupe not got the 600 brake horsepower that the saloon does? Yeah. You know, all these kind of questions. The bit is, so when I was, before I got my S4 yeah. uh, event, I was looking at similar sorts of cars and I thought, okay, C63, I've, I've sort of loved the look of the C63 coupe for a long time. But I wanted something a bit more practical. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll go and drive a C-Class Estate, a C63 Estate. And unfortunately for me, it was a massive letdown. Okay. Did you drive pre-facelift or facelift? So the GTR-style grille or the the flat one? good question. It didn't have the full digital dash. Okay. So it was like a 17, 18 car? Yeah, okay, pre-facelift, yeah. And the, the things that got me straight away were... The ride it's quite harsh it's quite harsh yeah and that seems to be a running thing with well has been across a lot of brands yeah but i was told like if you had a e63 yeah really solid ride yeah why do all these cars have really solid rides why does a c63 have a really solid ride i think it was a decision that they made at that time to give it a certain type of suspension in fact i know this to be a fact and the engineers wanted to give it something a bit more pliable because they thought it would um actually drive a lot better in terms of dynamics yeah. as well so that's actually what they've done in the facelift if you drive a facelift c63 it's a different car in terms of suspension. really it's really really different that's quite interesting when i recently bought my pre-facelift c63 coupe i thought the suspension was broken because i was so used to driving the yeah. facelift one but that's just the nature of that car it was a decision that they made to make the car a bit more raw i kind of appreciate it now only because i'm looking for something a bit more analog where i am today yeah but you know for a daily car it's to it is off-putting massively we kind of balance that out with how much great sound you're getting out of the engine but that's a folly of all amg addicts we kind of smother that over any yeah. issues that the car has <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, no, I'm with you on that. It's, it, had, it does have a harsh ride, for sure. Yeah, and I, I, the other thing is I I think I'm a sort of a bit of an... I'm an Audi fanboy at heart. <coughs> well, Excuse I'm me. a Porsche guy at heart, but like, I also like Audi. And then yeah. I didn't like... That car had... I think it was a black pack interior. Yeah. And I didn't like just the amount the of plastic. It was terrible, yeah. yeah. Just... Yeah, it's, it's, it's really... Any car that has that piano black center console is, on the used market is almost like a to anyone. Yeah. You know, you rather just have the black wood trim or, or yeah, totally. you know, definitely the carbon. But yeah, that piano black piece is awful. Anything but good. that would have been good. Even a satin black piece would yeah. have been all right, you know? It's a very odd It really puts you off. Choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't like it. It's kind of I call it S E level trim. You yeah. know, you expect it on a kind of C one thirty from back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Not a C sixty three. Okay, and then when you get to sort of... Okay, we, we've sort of run through some of the range, but yeah. my specific point when I I was at Goodwood this year and I saw a bunch of... I hadn't been to a Mercedes showroom in a while yeah. and saw there was a bunch of cars lined up and it sort of interested me because I was... There was at one point in time where I was considering getting like a 2015 S-Class Coupe okay. as like a runabout. Yeah, that's or a nice As runabout. my daily... Not like runabout, but like my daily car. Yeah. Because they've depreciated quite a lot. And I thought, okay, maybe so I could get a 63 yeah. or maybe a 500. And there's just, that is kind of the current car-ish, yeah. pretty much. Interior is the same. Yeah, I'm sure much. you will. No, it's, it's probably it's, loads it's, of little bit but. The essence of the car is that. The essence of yeah. the car is the same. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, let's have a look at the other 
cars out there. Yeah. The the main problem I had with that car is it was too big. Yeah. It's just a huge beast. It's huge for something that's got two doors. Yeah. And so the seats in the back aren't particularly big either. Yeah. You, I and, think you get more room inside a C class rear coupe. Yeah. And then you can't fold them down. No. So you don't have a massive. You don't actually have a massive boot. Yeah in this huge car that's when I started thinking okay is there like a E-class E63 coupe and then I was told no that no. doesn't doesn't exist no. <laughs> then so what is the CLS yeah what is the CLS the CLS has almost become an extra car yeah. in the range it originally it was designed as this beautiful four-door coupe uh, everyone referred to it as the banana car when it first came out because mm. no one had a roofline like that in a four-door yeah and it genuinely stood out. I think the design was probably the best design of any Merc of its time. Since then, I feel it's a bit of an afterthought. So yeah. it's just a... I mean, you can get five seats in it now. Before, it was only a four-seater. But it, it's kind of become this, you know, slightly more stylish E-Class. Again, it's kind of a niche of a niche. I yeah. don't think the current E-Class is bad-looking. Yeah. In fact, I prefer it to the CLS, which is odd. When I, I'm told I should prefer the CLS in yeah. terms of looks, but I don't. CLS just has an A-Class's front end plonked on it and really ugly rear lights so it, it's it shouldn't really be there in the form that it's in yeah. I don't think if you were going to make a cool four-door coupe with a swoop back I think C-class size again I like small cars don't I but I think C-class size car would have been cooler maybe slightly wider arches or yeah. something to set it apart it shouldn't be one big sin is having the same interior as an E-class when the CLS first came out it had a different dash on the front yeah it was different enough that owners would say yeah okay that's a cls and it looks quite cool it's got kind of this uh, encompassing front dash now you just get the e-class one and it right royally pisses me off in my gt63 as well yes i've got the lovely v8 center console with the gear stick there where it should be but i've still got an e-class front dash yeah well that's it so i saw the cls yeah so an in-class i saw the cls and then next door to it was an amg gt4 door yeah and you're looking at all these cars and the price difference between a CLS and an AMG GT four-door yeah, it's massive. Is, is massive. Yeah. And then you're like, well, what's the difference between these two cars? Yeah. I mean, in, in truth, there's there's big differences. Not only dynamically, the body is, is so much wider than the GT four-door. It is genuinely kind of a, a proper AMG product. But when you're looking at it in that way, when you've got two very similar cars sitting on essentially the same platform you're kind of really wondering what they're doing especially then inside when you do the sin of having the same interior yeah the same interior you know you're like what what are you guys thinking you know but again it's that copy paste element that you were talking about it's so easy for the manufacturers to just copy paste yeah. change this change that that's not what they've done in the four door you know it's genuinely to achieve what it's achieving is is great but you know for the layman looking outside in you're like really yeah and it's it's, it's it's tricky it's, it's i think you shouldn't do that to yourself no or you should try and avoid doing it and some man like manufacturers get a lot of flack and totally warranted for bringing out okay let's 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 give an example let's say mclaren did this with the the center yeah bring out the center center seats yeah they're called the center seats and then Three months later, <laughs> 600 LT, and you can have it with the Senna, the Senna seats. seats. Like, come on, guys. Like, I understand they're cool <laughs> seats. You like them, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. But you've just put it in effectively product. the cheapest model, of, yeah. like the cheapest, sportiest 
version yeah. of your car with one of the most expensive. They all do it though. I mean, they do all do it. The the worst nine eighteen seats. Yeah, GT four. Yeah, oh, the worst one probably is AMG. Actually, I think they they took it's a small part of the car. But if I was a Project One AMG One customer, I would be pissed. On the steering wheel, they got this lovely F one inspired steering wheel. Yeah. And within that, the first time they showed it, they had these great dials which changed the mode of the car. Yeah. To and they were like these LED dials, and you mm. saw Lewis Hamilton in the promo thing changing it to like an EV and then Sport Plus mm. and then all this stuff. And you're like, wow, you know, on a Halo car, that's pretty cool. And then a couple of weeks later, it was in pretty much every AMG. Ah. Oh. Those little dials. Now it's great for us, you know. In, yeah. As, as, there needs to be a delay. Yeah. Or or don't show it. Or make a different size shape screen or something don't put the same part from your 2.7 million pound hypercar in a glb 35 don't do that yeah that's just wrong you want like i get it if the car's been out for two years already yeah fine yeah that's okay like a little bit annoying but but okay if it comes in like the next generation of cars yeah you know three four years starts in the s or whatever even out yet you know where are we at with the project one I don't know. Um, there was a like a, a customer event a month near the Frankfurt Motor Show, and a lot of videos came on Instagram of uh, this flyby of a camo car. I think Mar- Mauro Engel was was driving mm. it. That's the last we heard of it. It was meant to be out in 2020. From what I originally understood, it was going to be mid to late 2020 deliveries. But my understanding and I, I've not heard this officially that, that they're struggling with emissions or uh, homologation with the engine, etc. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with it. The the rumor that I heard, or the sort of random feedback through channels yeah. that I heard at that AMG meeting, yeah. they asked everyone, "What engine do you want in the car?" Okay, like if it, yeah, you know, if it can't be this one, yeah, would you well, mind a a 53 would you like a v12 like you know (laughs) anything else i don't know i Uh, i find it weird i don't don't think it's some i don't think amg should have ever gone that route personally no i I don't understand what prompted them to outlay so much money and do so much for something that historically before that they always said no we're not in the hypercar market and they weren't you know they build at the most reasonably fast supercars yeah for me the amg1 is a big marketing exercise that links very strongly to f1 which is of course it's a great flag bearer for mercedes around the world but you know as a i i love to know what is being axed because that's being built as well yeah you know is your black series being axed maybe maybe it was you know i think the true halo flagship for the brand will be the gt black series when that comes out do we have a timeline, vague timeline for that? I reckon next year sometime they'll show it. I think they'll show it sometime next year. It's exciting. From what I've heard, they have a very high revving V8 engine and plenty different within that engine to allow that because I reckon it'll still be a turbo. But yeah, it should. they're chasing GT2 RS, so it's got to be good. They've had enough time to do it. Yeah. So, you know, let's see if, and, if, if they can get it to GT2 that level. GT2 RS, I, I don't know whether it ever was a super popular car like yeah if you look back historically it wasn't the gt2 it was a niche really car. wasn't yeah yeah it wasn't um, and everyone rare, loves the gt3s but gt3 is the one that yeah in that drive. sense I, th- I think the gtr is good enough 
it genuinely the preface this one the sound it gives the performance it has it, it, it's it's similar enough to a gt3 in terms of performance while giving the amg customer what they want in terms of crazy looks and sound yeah so yeah the true, i really like the gtr the true flagship really is the gtr really and it is pretty much the best car they've ever built so far i think yeah. if you're looking at pure driving dynamics yeah. how is the so you've got a pro now yeah how are you finding that I haven't driven it enough, Sam, to be honest. Okay. Um, I had a good go at it at Hockenheim. It was very good at kind of dealing with the apexes and bumps mm. compared to the GTR because of the adjusted suspension. There's no more power in it, so you don't really feel that. Do you really feel the downforce? Probably not. Probably not. You feel the lack of sound, which is unfortunate. That's made up by more extreme design, as we were discussing. Yeah. <laughs> this is the way of things. Really, I think I prefer my GTR Yeah. Uh, in hindsight. I knew I would when I bought it. Why did I buy it? I really want a Black Series. So. I was about to say, the, the Black Series has got to be yeah. the one. Yeah, I really want a Black Series, but I wanted to give the Pro a chance as well. I hope I don't lose money on it, because that would be very unfortunate. Yeah, I had so much fun in the GTR, I thought I should give the Pro a chance and see yeah. you know, if it's as good. Because the GTR is a great daily as well, in the sense that it's not too harsh on daily roads. You know, It can do the whole yeah. nice V8 rumble while you're sitting in traffic type thing. Quite a big uh, boot. Yeah, it's very decent boot, thanks to the hatchback as well. So, yeah, I'm giving it a chance. Let's see in a month's time what, what I think of it when I have a chance to really uh, push it. Yeah, weirdly, the, the GTR, I remember when Tim was saying he was going to order his. I was originally, I was like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And then I wanted a GT3 at the time. Yeah. Couldn't, didn't get a slot. And then just sort of forgot about the entire thing. Yeah. And part of me... A large part of me wishes I'd ordered a GTR, run it for a year, yeah, sold it, probably similar money when you sell it. I guess if if over a year maybe. Yeah, if you'd kept it for a year, you would have been all right. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> not, not in today's started... market. Today's market, it's, yeah, it it's probably it... one of the best cars you can buy for the money today. Yeah, you, know, and... you could probably pick one up for sub one hundred, which is ridiculous. Like I don't know whether that layout. I've never really gelled with that layout. Yeah, engine front mid engine and uh, yeah, like a long bonnet drive. type yeah. thing. Yeah, but it's just quite. It's it is a cool car. Yeah, and everyone I've haven't really driven one. Yeah, but everyone I know that's driven one. Tim loved his. Yeah, has now bought every version and whatever of it. <laughs> He's uh, Tim. He has to. He has to. We, we don't need press departments anymore. We just go <laughs> straight to Tim and say, "Tim, can I borrow? Well, I need a Toyota Supra today, or a, you know, a Jiminy or something." And he'll he'll sort you out. He's a nice guy as well, so you won't say no. Yeah, exactly. If you had any interesting, you or you had the GT2 RS. Yeah. What are the? Have you had any other interesting cars recently that you've driven that stand out? Um, for one, for a good reason or a bad reason. If we talk about pure fun, one of the most fun cars I had recently has to be, although it goes against everything we were saying in terms of horsepower and whatnot, the DBS Superleggera from Aston. Uh, that was so much fun just to... What was specifically fun about it? Well, I love the V12 engine, first of all, and the fact that you had a, a Daimler brain in the car that wasn't going to die on you. That spoke to you, that would Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, that gave confidence that you could kind of enjoy yourself without worrying about the car breaking down somewhere. But having that classic GT look about the car, bit of Bond heritage, screaming V12, crazy amounts of pull. Yeah, it was really fun. I just I came away from that thinking, okay, it's not the fastest car in the world. 
yes it's expensive but i think i'd give my left one for that car yeah it's the the car from aston yeah the the vantage doesn't do it for me i i don't like the looks yeah is it the front end that gets it's the front end i think yeah i don't like it yeah and i think it's a bit too mercedes-y on the inside on the inside yeah but but it just it doesn't doesn't really excite me that much i'm sure it's a good car it's funny the uh Andy Palmer's personal Vantage has a slightly different hood. Does it? So, you know, the Vantage's hood is quite plain. Yeah, yeah. His one has got kind of the uh, scoops that you have in the DBS. Oh, really? But only his has it. Oh, that probably makes it look quite a lot better. It, and it looked a lot better. I, I saw this at HQ at Gade and I was like, okay. So yeah. he knows what works on the car, does he? <laughs> but the DBS, yeah. I look at the DBS and I'm like, yes, it looks muscular. It looks like a bit of a muscle car. It's got a big V12. Yeah. It just looks cool. Yeah. Badass. And, and it kind of drives the way it looks. So what you imagine looking at it is what you get out of it, which is nice because yeah. you don't always get that these days from a car. So yeah, that that I really came away from thinking that, that that's a cool car. Um, GT2 RS has stuck with me only because I don't think I've driven anything that was just so raw in terms of hearing every mechanical aspect mm. of the car, be it just the, the scrunching of the brakes or something that the engine's doing or whatever it was you could hear it in that car and there was just something very raw and and wonderful about that and i don't know how long we'll be able to experience that for you know going into the future not long i don't think the i've done you've done a bit of ice driving yeah 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 i think that is a great way of testing how connected you feel to a car as yeah. soon as you drive on snow because basically you've got no friction whatsoever yeah. within reason and we've done a couple of times a trip out there and in a bunch of different cars and of all the cars that were out there we had a mix of modern supercar type stuff and then older stuff i took my old 911 we had an e36 m3 is that where your icon yeah that was from there okay that was on an ice track right and you get in these older things Mm. and you just feel you feel everything whereas you get in a modern car on snow yeah and it's just this one big numb experience. You can't feel a thing. That's like, a really interesting comparison, actually, to do it on the snow. Because I don't think you can appreciate that really on no on a normal road. Can no, you? I don't, because I think the differences are not highlighted anywhere yeah. near as much. Yeah. But, for example, whether it's electronic steering yeah. or cars with like ABS and just all of this electronic stuff, because the friction level is so much lower, mm. these differences, I think, get massively... Yep. exasperated because you can't load up the steering at no, all no. so it's it's the difference between none and a bit yeah versus none and none yeah and it's just it's so weird all these heavier systems all these systems that people have to put into cars because the car's heavier yeah. to make it do the all safety is the other stuff and safety it? yeah yeah it's uh is there any way we can rein this all back do you think there's a hope for kind of my my, my personal hope is that everyone will come to the realization that the combustion engine paired with electric is is the right way to go i think that's the right way and then you still got something familiar with something that's clean and easy and something you can charge viably or self-charge while you're driving i think we need to get the the weights of these battery packs and systems down but we're starting to see it in small cars like the new golf there's a couple of mild hybrid options yeah and i think in terms of let's say fuel economy and that sort of thing having a small hybrid system in your car 
that does the pulling away from a light yeah. or just the getting you from moving at naught miles an hour to moving at 20 miles an hour yes. and then the petrol takes over or like cruising speeds or you know, yeah exactly like that. like that drastically increases your miles per gallon mm. in a car because like you know you'll know driving a turbo v8 or yeah, something yeah, around town yeah, just yeah. start stop yeah you get like it's killer eight yeah. mpg or something ridiculous that's the worst part yeah so the I, other the other problem we have i think is cars are growing in size too much they're so big or what do they need to be this big they're also big but not big yeah like you get in the craziest one is when you get in like an old car yeah like an old mini yeah or like my 911 yeah it's a tiny car yeah but it's quite a lot of space inside inside yeah and then you compare it to jump in a 992 and you're like have I really got that much more and the space is like similar yeah they're they're saying every you can see everything's tightly packaged in terms of packaging is brilliant you know but where's all that why is it so big where's all the where's all the extra space where is it and like you open the bonnet on my old 911 and you can put loads of luggage in there yeah it's just an empty space yeah whereas now we have these small tiny holes in the front yeah of whatever bonnet yeah, like of whatever car hand luggage is in there if you're lucky yeah like oh you, you buy one of these new crazy hypercars yeah and you don't even get like some of them you literally just don't get space like well that's that's all very well but where are you going to drive this car they're probably not it's probably going to sit in a garage somewhere sit in a garage if you had to go for a modern hypercar or let's say you had given a budget of a modern hypercar. Yeah. What would you go for? You know, I really love the the Singer design vehicles. Mm. To me, that is a hypercar where you've taken something and you've meticulously detailed every millimetre of it. I, I saw the uh, the DLS at the previous year's Goodwood. Yeah. Uh, the white one they had yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen anything that like interior. it. And to me, that uh, the interior was actually done by Proto Trim up in Milton Keynes which I wasn't aware oh, really? of really? I didn't yeah. know that so the guys who did uh, Tim's uh, Fiesta oh really? yeah yeah and in fact they helped me with the C63S I just brought just uh, I got a new seat cover for the driver's yeah. chair and that's when I found out really talented guys but the, the, that car I don't think there's anything that's had that much love put into it that I've seen yeah you know as far as you even look at the little nuts and bolts that they're using on it they seem to be bespoke yeah. Or if they're not, then they definitely fit the design language. Yeah. So for me, it would be something like that, I think. Or because of my AMG bias, maybe a Pagani. Mm. Like, I love the look of the original Hawaira without any of the extra okay. BC trimmings, etc. And Probably. your Hawaira over Zonda. Yeah, I just love the gull wings. To me, it's a bit of a Mercedes link. Yeah. Not too bothered about the Pagani side. Plus, a very good friend of mine is an engine builder at AMG, F1 Mike on Instagram, mm. F1 Mike 28, Michael Kubler. And he builds all the engines. And being a mate, you just want an engine from your mate. Almost. Yeah, that's cool. So it's it's a big bias for me uh, with the whole Pagani uh, I, side. Yeah, I a hundred percent. If you said you could have two million or three million to buy one car, yeah, okay. Ignoring like investment and blah 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 yeah. blah, I would love to put my money into something like a Singer or something, yeah. something that's just a cool car. Full stop. That's light. Like, I love the idea of Gordon Murray's new car. Yeah. The T50 or whatever it's going to call it. It's going to be, you know, one ton, 650 horsepower. It's not like 4,000 horsepower. Yeah. But if it's one ton and it's 650 horsepower and it revs to well, it 13 might as well or be. 15, <laughs> yeah. like, that's 
What more could you want? No. That's going to be drive amazingly. Yeah. Or yeah. could drive and probably theory. will yeah. drive amazingly. Like something like a Singer 500 horsepower, probably 1100 kilos, I don't know how much they weigh, something yeah. like that. Designed, it's that thing of looking at every like you 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 like this sort of same sort of thing like you look at all the details yeah and you're just like wow yeah wow and it's everything about it it's not just plastic everywhere and whatever no. or even if there was plastic it it's there for a purpose yeah and it fits yeah it works yeah i, th- I don't think you can go wrong with those cars no I really don't right normally that's sort of the end of these podcasts i ask five questions go for it do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey I think the one that I enjoyed the most was the first ever road trip that I did from the UK to AMG of Alterbach, mm. only because it was the first time I ever did it. It was in this, this C63 motorsport, actually. And for an AMG fan, it kind of felt like a homecoming. Yeah. And I always say when I go there, it's like coming home. And I wasn't huge on social media back then. None of that mattered. It was more with some friends, driving on some great roads, lucky with weather in october taking some great pictures exploring uh, you know food places and and going to a place that as petrol heads we love then seeing the engine building stuff and little behind the scenes things i really enjoyed that road trip for me as a petrol head it it, it just it hit the spot yeah i think you know especially as an amg addict yeah, yeah. i really enjoyed that and i would i would really recommend anyone to you've driven all through europe i'm sure that the roads you get in france and germany even driving at normal speeds are so much better than what we have here in the uk that you'll just be smiling all the way there and back and germany germany is it's great to drive around yeah just a really cool looking place it's so beautiful when i first went there when i was much younger being naive you assume germany to be all industrial don't Mm. you but it's so green so green rolling countryside and forests and flat you know pitch black roads with crisp white lines and people who actually know how to use lanes it's it's a revolution to be <laughs> honest i'm um, driving in germany but yeah beautiful country beautiful country great roads you have to, if you're in the uk and you want a good road trip drive up to germany and back you will not regret it it's, yeah it's incredible get the Nürburgring yeah. or something do something anything yeah well worth it right next question five car garage unlimited value has to fit into your lifestyle oh gosh I think I'm nearing it as a, as an AMG Ooh. addict. They're, they're probably not going to be choices that everybody would, would jive with, but we were discussing like hot hatches earlier and what makes a good hot hatch. Mm. And uh, I really enjoyed the, the original A45. It wasn't, it's not a particularly dynamic car, but for an AMG hot hatch, it had an amazing sounding four-cylinder engine that eventually formed into the V8 that we have today. It had reasonable looks for its time. It looked like a mini C63 Black Series back then if if we can yeah. rewind our minds so as a, as a little hot hatch i've always adored that car so i've I managed to find one with just seven thousand miles on it and a how so i've bought that that's that's gone into my keep forever c63 black series has to be because it is the quintessential amg as far as i'm concerned yeah. you know 510 brake horsepower rear wheel drive great aero you know yeah it, it's it's insane you know it's like christmas lights on, on the on the driver's dash but <laughs> hydraulic steering you know when do we get that anymore it, it's it's a superb car and i think as an amg fan it, it's it's the one that again we all think about that car beyond that i think the not enough people credit the current c63s so the pre-facelift with the four liter bi-turbo 
I think for the money, the sound and how dynamic that car is given its size and weight. It, it, it's just that sweet spot, Sam. It yeah. really, you get almost as much sound as a GTR out of it, sometimes more in that car, which is astounding for a little two-door yeah. four-seater. The electronic steering on it, you will only feel the difference between that and a Black Series if you drove them back back to back. In every other discernible area, it's better than my Black Series. I know it mm. is. I've, I've pushed them both extremely hard. And then it's got it's got the wide body that the Black had, etc. So for sure, I think that that's one in there. You'd have that and another C63 Black Series in your five-car unlimited value garage. I'd have both of them. Fair play. Because unlimited value is one thing, but like you said, you've got to fit it into your lifestyle. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know? So I see the A45 as the car that you kind of plod around in, but you still have a smile on your face. Yeah. I see the Black Series as your very rarely used, you know... Bit of history. Bit of history analog track car. And the C63, again, it's a great daily car, if you can get over the suspension yeah. that you mentioned. The other two are interesting. I don't think I've found them yet. Out of the cars that I've driven so far... And I'm wondering whether the GT3 RS is going to change my mind. I'd love the GT2 RS in that garage. Again, coming back to how raw and connected that felt. And I think it's almost everything that's good about an overpowered super performance car exists within the GT2 RS. The way it looks, the way it drives, the performance it creates. Yes, an SVJ might be two seconds faster Mm. on the ring, but the Porsche is just... Well, it's a Porsche, isn't it? An SVJ is not two seconds faster around the ring. Is it not? I thought... Like, it, yeah, yeah, is, yeah, but, but no way. Yeah. <laughs> I keep reading these articles about them speeding up lap times. But yeah, in, I've, I've seen a lot of... Potentially, there's a lot of discussion. that car let's, let's did put it that, that lap way. time. Yeah. But they... With the Manti racing tweaks... Yes. It was, what, 10 seconds faster? And faster, you know yeah, yeah. that that... Aren't ca- they owned by Porsche anyway? Yeah, they're part Manti owned by racing, Porsche now. Yeah. As much as people you say, like, oh, you know, you're just a... Porsche fanboy yeah if you go and drive an Aventador and just drive it around and then get in a GT3 RS for example you, you kind you, of you're quite aware yeah. that one of them one's just going to be better going around the yeah. track yeah and you don't need to drive them that fast to realise that either. no you don't I think I need to bring my GT3 RS yeah to your house and you need to have a go in it I think we need to do that like 100% yeah I think and then you'll get a chance to drive the Pro yes Let's do that, 100%. Yeah, let's do I that. I think you'll enjoy the manual experience. Yeah. There, okay, there's, so. there, there's one more slot there. Mm. I think the Singer has to go in there, because we mentioned mm. it. I've got too many track cars in there. It's fine. The A45 can do the grocery run. Yeah, I think the Singer. But all of those cars you could drive daily you could. if you wanted. They're not necessarily could. track cars. Or yeah. Anything. I mean, I mean the, the ilk of kind of the mid-engine 458 type cars, they're, they're lovely cars, but for me, I've always preferred the kind of classic, either Porsche look or the kind of the GT. Yeah look of a car so yeah that that would be mine good times it's, it's a good one to look at i think it is and then yeah. it, ch- it changes all the time yeah when you're like oh i'm like my usage of cars has totally changed and actually asking asking people these questions regularly yeah and having to think about it myself has really made me think about my car collection yeah. my, like, i have five cars so yeah. and i'm like well if you sold them all and started again would you yeah. have the same ones yeah. and i think it's most, worth re-evaluating sometimes. Most people would probably not have the same ones yeah. that they had because circumstances change or whatever. And I realized at one point, very recently, that all my cars were very similar. Yeah. 
they were all very sort of driver focused yeah. sporty cars mm. even down to the m2 that i was you driving yeah. daily and actually i was like hang on a minute if i go into my garage and go which one could you take and the option is you could take either like any one of them at any time because they're all similar yeah that's not a good no you're not giving you much choice no you're not i, I was i was guilty of that i think not more than a year or so ago when i had a lot of these v8 by turbo mercs yeah <laughs> yeah yes they're Still all different in their own ways yeah but um you know it can all become very samey samey and you need to have as you said that kind of variety in there somewhere which is the right approach to take so have you changed yours then at all I, the only change at the moment and i'm sure changes will happen selling cars i find emotionally difficult though yeah i changed my m2 for an s4 van okay and it's like more comfy more space just ticks just ticks a lot of boxes i think a pretty cool decision though because you've looked at things in a kind of real way rather than what would be cooler yeah not realizing that this actually could be cooler just yeah. to have a more kind of practical car yeah and i the one that i find tricky is having the old 911 and the gt3 rs yeah and i love the gt3 rs as a car i think it's a phenomenal car mm. but if you most of the time when i cho- get a choice between which car to drive and let's just say the old 911 or the gt3 rs i drive the old 911 mm. it's just a bit cooler a bit more interesting a bit more interesting to drive at lower speeds they're both kind of fun they're both fun full stop but it's like a bit harder it's just a bit older and I generally choose that car to drive there's a certain pull towards these kind of cars isn't there yeah and it really is. it's it's tricky then because you go okay well I love the GT3 RS and if I could never sell it and just have that money to put into another car yeah. that would be 100% it would just go into a garage and I'd keep it forever because I've got loads of memories with it and whatever but I'm now thinking I need if I'm going to stay with the same number of cars I don't know whether you've found this is when you've got one car you get one car if you then have two cars the idea of going back to one car is quite tricky. it's difficult yeah. so, and, and I've never had a point <laughs> where I've had more cars and the idea of going to one less seems yeah. like a sensible it seems sensible it seems incredibly sensible I'd love to have one car it sounds very it feels very difficult though yeah, because you kind of you've gotten used to this almost lux- luxury, isn't it? it yeah, is a luxury. it's a hundred percent luxury. It's a great luxury, but I think we this is the vice that we have. You know, maybe we don't do other things that people enjoy. But yeah, we have this great vice that is the car, and we have to satiate it somehow. If that's um, more cars or changing the same number of cars, then it is what it is. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And once you've worked out the logistics of keeping however many cars you have, the idea of you then go, okay, well, I could swap this one out for something else yeah but just getting rid of it i think probably what i need to do is sell my gt3 rs and the f40 just like boom <laughs> gone and then revisit what 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 would you you must have some idea that would make you do that though i mean the, so, the old 911 has got to be it's permanent old right? 911 staying for yeah. a, a long time i would only replace it with an old a better classic, old a better old 911 yeah and at the moment something like a singer is incredibly expensive yeah and i think it would be really cool and i would really enjoy it but i wouldn't enjoy it six times the price of my current yeah, car yeah and driving a car that's 500 grand or whatever well i had to double back when i first saw yours like originally mm. thinking oh is that oh no it's not a singer yeah, yeah. it's just an yeah it's just an old yeah old, yeah oh no no yeah but but it had that that charm immediately it does you know? it's, it's a cool fun little yeah. car yeah and driving a car that the bumper you know someone reverses into the bumper and you can get a new bumper respray it 
for 500 quid is very different to someone reversing the bumper and it's like 20 grand yeah and you can't get the parts straight away and all that sort of stuff yeah. like headache wise i'm happy taking my old 911 on an ice track yeah because it's kind of a bit tough and you wouldn't to... really think about it with the other one would you it's all right a singer oof. yeah yeah you just kind of just want it somewhere in this room, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> in looking the glass at it. box, yeah. The magnifying glass nearby. I'd like something modern and GT comfy. Mm. Whether that would be a manual 991.2 GT3. Yeah. I drove James's and I really liked it. And it was interesting driving that back to back with my RS. Yeah. It would tick a lot more of the practicality of how I actually use my car's yeah. usage. I did think the other day of taking the cage. See if I. I wonder if you can take the cage out of my GT3 RS. I wonder if you can. I don't know why you couldn't. I couldn't see why not. Like, or even if you could dis- disassemble quite a lot of it, because mm. then it would open up that space in the back yeah. for just chucking stuff in. But An yeah. occasional two-seat GT3 would be cool. I think. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only person in the world who thinks that. Yeah. I think that would be nice as a, like a little daily crazy Porsche. Hmm. So I should do that. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> onwards. Right, next question for you. If you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, you're allowed like a 500-pound banger. That's a tough one. I think probably my first... I'm going to go with my first reaction, and that was C63S Coupe, I think, 205. It, it just does everything, mm. I think, for all the reasons we stated earlier, sound, dynamics, being modern enough, but driving enough like an analogue car yeah, I think that looks one looks cool yeah sounds good I think that that's Sweet. the one I would I would sell my black series over it potentially did I say that just now <laughs> I really love that car I do have you ever considered like Rentecking cars or anything like that I have spoken to Rentec actually but the the reason that conversation happened was having driven the pro at Hockenheim I was like mm. why is this so quiet is anyone doing something about this yeah and then I, I spoke to Rentec Europe so whether anything happens there, I don't know. But I, I haven't considered it till now, only because my brain has always thought stock has got to be good enough. And if it's not, buy another car. I, I think that's a really good way yeah. of outlook. Because I think you can end up spending a lot so and going money. through a lot of headache just to get something that should have been right in the first place yeah. for you. Because there's enough cars out there for you to find your one. Yeah. And unless it's something like you've got a car and it become what you want it to be more of a track car so you like change the change brake pads and stuff yeah. like that but that's minor there's tweaking isn't there like yeah. you want a bit more exhaust sound yeah. or you know you want to change even aesthetically speaking you know you want to change the interior or something whatever the, the case may be that's fine but to wholesale change things about a car which a lot of people do do I, it doesn't make sense for yeah me. they start with a car and try and make it into it's normally aimed at another car yeah they're like I want my V8 R8 to be a v10 r8 so i'm going to change all of the bodywork to look like a v10 or you know and that that 100 goes yeah all ends of the spectrum you make i had this great like conversation with um uh, tim's manager schmark 150 yeah. as, as he likes to call <laughs> yeah, himself and he's a, he's a lovely guy he spent 45 minutes this was originally when the m2 comp came out mm. and he spent 45 minutes saying how it's not as good as the old M2, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he was disappointed. Then he was like, yeah, I'm going to spend 15 grand on it. I was like, Mark, you just said that all this time we just spent talking about how crap it was. Why are you spending all this money? I'll make it better. It's fine. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, my brain doesn't, like, I'd be like, His okay, brain. I don't like this car. I'll get another one. 
that'll do the job or buy an old m2 again or something yeah you know his brain is is 100 percent. i'm gonna buy this car and modify it like tons yeah. to make it how you want it or yeah. whatever and you're like yeah but at the end of the day you've got a really expensive m if, m2 yeah. Yeah. m2 competition that you know 65 70 yeah. grand like yeah. what if that is if your apex car but if you go and drive something else that started at maybe a gt4 for yeah. example or something you know you, you you're buying a much better car to start with a better yeah. platform it's depreciated a bit when you buy it and it will depreciate a little bit but it probably not but your 70 grand yeah 65 grand m2 it's going to be worth 25 grand That's in problem, four years yeah. time i'm on the fence with tuning at the moment i think the future might change that but let's see what happens yeah fair mm. enough okay best value car for under 50 grand as like a, a a daily or like a do it everything car can be anything i really don't want to give you the same answer again <laughs> uh, to be honest it, it, um, if, it fits in that category i think the c63s is one of them for purely the car you get um something else that that hits the mark i really like the original m2 uh, i think that ticks so many boxes on and they're so like 30 many grand yeah i mean you'd have change from that car and you could buy a little hot hatch or something yeah, those, those two really stand out for me from a driver's perspective. Otherwise, if you're looking for luxury, you could get tons of old Mercs that are absolutely brilliant <laughs> for that, that money. But yeah, or to be honest, if we look at the uh, first few generations of Boxster and Cayman as well, yeah, value for money, especially if you've driven the 718s. Have you had a chance to drive the 718s yes. yet? Mm. They're a bit underwhelming, mm-hmm. especially with that very flat engine. Uh, I think those types of cars are really going to be sought after at some point yeah and they're holding value uh, are they already are they yeah they're already yeah. like 981 which is the one before yeah they hold their value really well like when I sold occasionally I don't know whether you find this I come across cars that I used to own yeah and definitely being more active on social media people reach out they do and, yeah like when I bought even weirdly when I bought my S4 like a day later someone messaged me and were like you bought my S4 here's the picture of it like on my drive the day I collected it and you're like <laughs> oh cool that's cool Where's my boot colour? <laughs> <laughs> What's your mobile? Yeah. So I had a 981 Boxster yeah. when they first came out. I had an S. Okay. And I I think the list price on that car was probably 60. Yeah. Something like that. Which was quite high for... Which was quite high at the time. Well. Yeah. And it was the new shape. And I've ended up selling it after two years, maybe. Okay. Maybe a year and a half. It wasn't very... I think maybe two years mm. and that's when I bought my GT3 RS mm. and I think I sold it for 45 mm. so that's five six years ago now something like that yeah I saw the same car like a year ago for sale your old one my old car yeah. for 45,000 pounds oh my god and I was like oh like okay this is not <laughs> remotely possible but I could have kept that car and run it for another five years yeah for free well for me you know no depreciation obviously I got my GT3RS I love that car and actually I've done very well out of having that car but there is a sweet spot somewhere there I think within that era of cars there came a sweet spot I think maybe I don't know I'm throwing a figure out there between 2010 and 2016 there was this great sweet spot of awesome cars and anything in that or most things in that era are going to be sought after I think yeah, and the the nine eight seven generation Boxsters and Caymans, so before nine eight one, they feel really analog. 
mm. now. Like they feel really good. And then now, the they, shape doesn't look as cool as the slightly later one. In they my sound eyes, fantastic, and as they well. sound great. They drive great. I was, yeah. I was randomly looking at Cayman R's yeah. recently. Yeah, they're expensive. I thought, oh, I, I'll I thought just they get... dropped in value for the longest time. Yeah, but now they're like forty something. Mm. For a, you know, I thought they were going to be twenty something. That's great value for the money. But because I, I was thinking, oh, what could I get that would be a good track car? Yeah. And I thought, oh, maybe came on. And then I realised that they were like forty-five grand. I'm like, no, that's no. not. <laughs> I was thinking twenty. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right. Next question: most undervalued car at the moment. You look at it and go, Whoa. value for money wise. Yeah, should be worth more or punches. <clears throat> I think the I, I don't one that we can have C sixty-three coupe again. No, it's not. I promise. I promise you. I'm really sorry, everyone. I'm a bit obsessed because I've just bought it back, <laughs> and it's the best thing since sliced bread. I think the one that's taken an unnecessarily huge hit, but it's great value for money, is the GTR. Yeah. I think pound for pound as just one of the best track cars, both in its dynamics and the way it sounds, the way it looks, that the world has ever seen. It does not deserve to sit at under 100, 100 grand. And it for it to sit for under 100 grand is bonkers. Is that, if you go in, will you get one for under 100 now? Um, if you push What's a dealer the at the moment, if I don't know where they're sitting at, but I know that dealers are buying them in for like, 80s okay and actually yeah because I know what Tim sold his for so yeah, they, they must be so yeah. do I so I know the offers that he was getting as well which were ridiculous so I think you could get one for sub 100 and the car for the money my brain I'm half like I can't afford it but can I try and buy my <laughs> old one back or something I don't know. I'm at that stage you know um, yeah totally yeah I think that it didn't deserve it but it's again it's car manufacturers why are you mass producing a car and giving dealers you know, demo cars of a car that should be only customer order. It's not an E-Class that needs to have demonstrators yeah. sitting at dealerships. All that does is, if I want a GTR, either I'm going to go and spec one or I'm going to find one at about the right spec that I want. If if a dealer has pre-spec'd one and it's just sitting there, who's going to want to buy it? Spending yeah. that much money, 160 grand new. Yeah, on a you're Mercedes. Not, you're just not going to buy it. You're going to wait. The dealer's going to shit his pants after four months, drop the price, drop the price, drop the price. That's what's happened. The market on these type of cars crashes because you've built cars as if they're C's or E-classes. Yeah. It's a shame. That yeah. is business, and it's, it's not the right way of doing business, I think. You, yeah. Porsche wouldn't do it with GT3. Let's put it that way. No. But no, they're cool cars. Need to have a go. Yes, right. you do. Last question. What's the most interesting car to you at the moment? What do you find yourself Googling or looking up or just forefront of your mind? Right, Toyota Supra. Ooh. I find this car fascinating. It is interesting. Because it's got all the things I don't like in terms of platform sharing and, you know, bits from other cars, interiors, etc. But it's something I feel the manufacturer has really done right, where you've got your usual bunch of cars, which are Toyota cars. Then you've got something that's so different to all of them in terms of its design, the way it drives, the way it looks... That, to me, is how a performance car should be done. And too many of the manufacturers, I mean, even the ones we love, like Porsche and AMG, BMW M, Audi RS, they're probably the most guilty of it, is making everything so same-same Yeah. that you jump out of one car into another and the interior has all got this, you know, samey-same design language and the exterior has all got the same design language. Rarely are we ever taken aback by something and saying, oh, my God, that's totally different to its sister car. Yeah. And I think that's what the Toyota does really well. Uh, it, it, it just looks like something that doesn't belong in that brand. But 
because of that, it's immediately cool. And I don't care if it's got a BMW steering wheel or, you know, infotainment system, etc. That that fact alone j- just it speaks to me. And I wish more manufacturers would be a bit more bold, not play the safe game with oh that sold well, let's give it the same face, yeah, and just stepped out of their comfort zone because that's when really special things happen. And I think that is a really good example of of a car like that. Yeah, that's quite an interesting way of looking at car manufacturers and i think the manufacturers that make cheaper cars or i don't mean cheap cars i mean yeah actually cars that go down to let's say mercedes they make an a class yeah which is their small town run around audi make an a1 mm. whatever but they go all the way up audi goes up to the r8 yeah mercedes goes up to the mg gt or the or my GTR pro or, or whatever yeah, yeah. All that kind of- what you have is you have these supercars or sports cars that are sitting at the top mm. of a range and therefore pretty much they just extend the range up mm. to the top rather than historically let's say Ferrari yeah you're coming in at a much higher point and yeah. therefore all Ferraris were the same but they were radically different yes. to what most people are used yeah. to i think the problem i've i've always found with an R8 is having had Audis as daily cars mm. is the interior on the R8 is it's nice but it's the same now it's the same as in all of the other Audis so it doesn't feel different or special if anything it looks older and kind of last gen now doesn't yeah. it compared to a lot of the new stuff you're getting in the RS5 and whatnot but it's I don't know how you make it totally different because it obviously costs a lot to design a new te- interior and if you just make really expensive cars that's you know Pagani only makes one interior but yeah. it's mental yeah I think it used to happen in the past when we look at kind of what the previous M cars or the previous AMG cars looked like compared to their normal counterparts. Mm. There was significant differences. Now you almost feel like there's trim pieces missing from one to the other. Yeah, that really annoys me. It can't be that much to have separate bumpers or, you know. And where are all the arches? Give me a different steering wheel, like a totally different steering wheel and a different key. It cannot cost that much to do that. (laughs) Yeah, really? just reshell a key. Yeah, reshell it. I mean, Aston have reshelled a Merc key. Merc can reshell their own key. Yeah. You know, give that, us something to hang our hat on and say, look, I've spent something on a premium product. Yeah. And I've got this that's totally different. You haven't got it at the moment. I mean, I reviewed the G- the CLA 35 the other day um, at AMG. And Sam, you sit in that car. And if I blindfolded you and put you in a... CLA 45S, which is another 20, 25, I don't yeah. know how much it is. They're identical inside. And that is so wrong. Yeah, it is. But that is the way the industry is going. It is. Like, that was the reason, one of the main reasons why I ended up with an S4, not an RS4. Yeah. One, they've they sort of stopped production on the RS4 for a bit because of the change in legislation. So the prices have sort of been held up. Doesn't the S4 sound better? The S4 sounds the same. Because the RS4 was a bit underwhelming it, they, they sound basically it's the same engine same engine all the more reason then but this is what's and, happening and isn't the it? interior yeah. is exactly yeah. the same and you're like well if you're going to spend another 20 grand on an RS1 yeah. yes those cars they still have the big arches and stuff yeah. but that's it That's there's not a lot of difference there's not a lot for cars. you to hang your hat on is there yeah there's, for there's that amount of money not enough and I, and I think those cars are a great example I think the 35s to the 45s in Merck's lineup are a very, very big example where you'll probably just have 
a lot more fun in the 35. And a lot more people will probably just buy the 35 who would have bought the yeah. 45. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot more buyers now are... People are getting smarter as well. They're getting smarter and they go, well, actually, this is fast. Yeah. It's more economical. Yeah. It's the same interior. It looks the same pretty much. Yeah. Like, what's the point in just spending more money for some numbers that are completely pointless? And, and customization and stuff, just aesthetically speaking, is becoming more common i think now in the uk than it's ever been so you know individualizing your s4 or your your 35 or your m140i is so much more the thing to do now than it ever was before yeah we've never been like the us in that sense but i think now we're starting to come along the idea that yeah individualizing your car's all right and that's only going to hurt i think these these top end so-called cars yeah and all of the the 63s of this world or the rs's of this world have all They've toned down in aesthetics massively yeah. over the previous generation. Yeah. Like the old C sixty three just looks like badass. Yeah. The old RS four, whatever, massive arches. Yeah. Now there's so much less so. Mm. So the the one that was a huge step was the when they brought the M two out. The M two is a great I was thinking about that when I was talking about That's a really about, good example of doing well. The Toyota. Uh, the, the, the Supra is you look at the M2 how it was completely different in its design language now you see bits of it across yeah. the rest of the cars right yeah invariably but that took a long long time to happen when it first came out it was wow and it wasn't just BMW fans I think everyone wanted that car yeah because of just how you know off the beaten path it was yeah and a cool little car and I when I had mine the number of people it would just be like that's a cool car yeah and irrespective of price yeah. and whatever yeah and yeah it just doesn't look like the rest of that range no. at all i mean do, do you think the original r8 was like that as well yeah 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 the original r8 when it came out wow. i think anyone who if you mildly like cars forget a brand you just wanted that car yeah because it's, it's a spaceship it's incredible you know it it was designed better than any other mid-engine car at that mm. time. It caught them all sleeping, all those manufacturers. You know, lower price point, amazing looks, linked to Iron Man movie, etc. It's great. It's a great car, but, you know, it, we rarely see that now. It's, it's sad. Um, but I think whoever nails that again, it's not too late for anything. Yeah. You know, if a manufacturer nails that type of exciting... It's very hard. Almost, you know, random kind of way of looking at things, not looking at things in the same way they're bound to be successful I think yeah I, th- I think we need to stop going down this make a really fast electric car yeah because I don't think I don't think anyone's that interested I don't think so I, when I think of electric what interests me is saving money yeah driving something that is environmentally good and ease of use if it can do that element those yeah. things interest me and they interest me in terms of a daily I've never once thought, oh, imagine if I had an electric sports car. No. Because immediately when you say electric sports car, I've lost five or six of the things that I love about sports cars. Yeah. The only thing you have is speed. Yeah. And speed is not something that you should derive all your fun from because you lose your license. I, I never derive fun from speed. The way I drive, and it's specific to a lot of uh, AMG customers, to be honest, is we enjoy the sound of the cars. We enjoy the way the steering feels. Uh, the way the rear end plays um, in this in modern day AMGs, the mm. way the gearbox is, and it's just plodding along at normal speeds or attacking, 
you know some corners in the suburbs uh, in the in um, you know more suburban areas but at low speeds yeah never once have i come away from an autobahn run in germany thinking oh this is why i bought the car it's really not no and that speed i think has got absolutely nothing to do with the equation of loving how a car drives it never no. has and i don't think it ever will it is a it's an experience yeah like i i would love to own a 720s for a couple of months in the summer yeah one because i just kind of want to experience that mclaren suspension system and yeah, it's very clever. usability yeah. with just crazy batshit fast mm. but it's not the thing that i would enjoy cruising around like 95 percent of my driving pretty much all my driving is not about going fast it's about enjoying driving yeah that's right and you have and, to ha- you have speed to have doesn't sound. come into that you have to have sound. you have to have sound it's got to be done i think a manufacturer who cracks the element of adding some kind of mechanical element to the sound will you know that they, they will crack the ev side of things but again i don't think as we said before we're kind of repeating ourselves ev alone is not the way to go no we got to stop attacking the sound regulation side of things because it's really going to kill the whole market. And I think all these manufacturers will eventually will have an Apple car, which will be better than all the other cars. Yeah. And bye bye, you know, Var Group, Just Daimler, and, yeah. and all they'll vanish because these cars will. And that's the other problem we were talking about: disposing of old cars. Now, if I can use your iPad as an example, when you have like this is an older iPad, and you get the new one come out immediately this one is that much less desirable yeah. the problem with evs it's going to be the same yeah you're not going to be looking at you know they only how, get worse my dad's got an old w124 e-class 300d it does everything that my car today would do if i bought a new e-class yeah everything it does the basics are there when you look at a new ev versus an ev from today it's like that car is not going to do what this car does. There's never going to be a classic EV market. No. I mean, there may be, but I highly you know, a, doubt a it. A Taycan today does 200, 250 miles. Okay, the Taycan of the future, if there is one, assuming EVs survive, will do 700 miles. Who's yeah. going to buy an original Taycan? No, no and one. by then your original one will do 100 miles. Yeah, because the battery will cost you know yeah. 40 grand to replace. So they're going to become consumables. I wouldn't be surprised, should they survive, that it becomes like a contract phone type nonsense. Yeah. That you're almost have it one year, give it back, and it gets recycled or something. Yeah, or they swap the batteries or whatever. What is the effect of the environment on that? I don't know. You know, you'll need. And then also is that that point of you get to almost like is it worth owning a car, or do you just share it amongst with a bunch of other people? Yeah, which might end up happening as well. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Let's not end on a depressing note. That's not that's bad. Well, it's all right. I'm going to come round to your house. We're going yeah. to bring the GT3 RS. Do that. And I'm going to have a go in the GTR have Pro. Have a go in the GTR Pro and I'm and in free... the C63S Coupe. Actually. Yeah, I need you just to experience that. Just going to get a coffee and coming back. That's yeah. all I want you to do. And if you haven't got a smile by the end of it, I'll change my name to <laughs> Mr. Singer or something. Well, let's let's do it. Well, thanks very much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. It's been good. I was waiting for your message, I must say. I did play it cool when you messaged me, but I, I have been listening to the podcast. And when the message came up saying, oh, do you want to be? I was like, yeah, <laughs> well, I could make some time for you. So, <laughs> no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Seriously, thank you for inviting me. And uh, maybe I'll come back one day for another topic. And yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll have well, a good chat. Thanks very much. Thank Cheers. you, Sam.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.